All right, the toughest decisions I've ever had to make in my career, part two. Real quick, shout out to Jeff Rankinen, professor of robotics and automation at Penn College. Uh, no real reason to give him a shout out other than he's awesome. Um, if you're a student who is looking at, you know, you want to get into industrial automation and you're looking for a university program that's on the bleeding edge of industrial automation, the combination of robotics and, and automation, along with learning Industry 4.0 principles using the unified namespace. As far as I know, uh, Jeff's program at Penn College is, is the, uh, it's the only program uh, in the country that is uh, implementing um, a hybrid model of education as it relates to automation and the fourth industrial revolution. That's a non-sponsored message, just me giving Jeff kudos for uh, taking the lead in scholastic uh, university education as it relates to automation. Um, in the last video, I talked about, you know, my career has basically been in three phases. There's the phase where I was, uh, the first decade, actually it was 12 years, I went back and looked. The first 12 years where I worked for the end users, four different end users, and the three toughest decisions I had to make during that phase of my career. The second phase of my career is when I worked for other systems integrators, and that's what I'm gonna talk about today. And then the third phase is the entrepreneurial phase when I went into business for myself. So at, um, <clears throat> in my last stop as a manufacturer, I worked for a tier one automotive supplier. I was an engineer um, who I worked with product engineers at the auto manufacturers. So Ford and Nissan were my primary customers. I was in charge of um, three steps, uh, three processes um, on our campus. Uh, we made um, links for timing chain. So we made timing chain, but I didn't work in the assembly side of the business. Um, and we were an OEM, so we built all of our equipment in-house. So the, the concept of designing and building a piece of machinery um, that would be a, 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 as an entity that piece of machinery was a smart machine that when you plugged it into the customer's infrastructure and flipped the switch on it would start streaming data into the customer's infrastructure without any additional integration that was all developed at that stop so once I was done there um, that's when I made the decision to move back to Dallas and I'm going to kind of explain what that journey was like. So once I made the decision that I was um, going to leave that company and I was gonna and I was gonna relocate, I was prepared to you know sell my house, move my family to a more business friendly environment where I could start scaling these ideas. Because I knew that I couldn't do what I wanted to do in upstate New York primarily because of the economy, uh, the drain brain, um, all the really smart people, the smart young people were moving away. They'd get their educations in upstate New York, but then they'd go somewhere else for their opportunity, whether that was Research Triangle Park in North Carolina, whether that was um, Texas was the big one at the time. Uh, Tennessee was a big one at the time. Uh, this was in 2000 and I think 11, 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, so what I did was I, I used to get emails and calls from recruiters all the time. And I just would ignore them. So what I did was uh, I just went through my Gmail. I wrote a little form email saying, 
hey, I'm in the market for a new job. This is my experience. Here's my resume. This is what I want to do. I want to move into systems integration and I want to focus on level three integrations. So that's MES, um, uh, supervisory control, so enterprise supervisory control data acquisition and MES systems along with business intelligence. Okay, I wrote this form email. I sent it to every recruiter. I just basically did a search in, in Gmail looking for every recruiter who had looked for me. I sent, I gave them that email and then I said, listen, tomorrow I'm going to be in Cleveland. You know, I packed up my car with my wife and kids. Um, we did, we didn't pack to move. We, um, I, what, here's what I did. I took all three weeks vacation that I had with my employer. Uh, I say I had three weeks paid vacation. I sent this email to the recruiters. My wife and the kids got in the car. This was in August of 2011 or 2012. I can't remember which year it was. Um, and I, I think it was 2011, but anyway, I, uh, we jumped in the car and I said, I'll be in Cleveland tomorrow. That that's what I said in the email. And then if you want to set up interviews with prospective, uh, employers, I'm happy to interview. So I went to Cleveland, um, and I interviewed with two companies that day. Then I went to Columbus. Then I went to Hebron, Kentucky. You can tell by some of the cities that I'm giving you. You can tell some of the companies I interviewed with, some of the biggest automation companies in the world. Um, one of the biggest e-commerce companies in the world, right? Long story short, over the course of the three weeks, I interviewed with 16 companies in 11 states. Um, and I narrowed it down to two integrators based in Dallas. The Dallas is where I'm from. I, my, when we came here, I interviewed with, I think here in Dallas, I interviewed with four companies. I narrowed it down to two integrators. Um, and I selected the one that was close, most closely aligned with my values. Um, of the 16 companies I interviewed with, I got 15 offers. Um, one of them I told them not to even, uh, I wasn't interested, and that was the big automation company, the 800-pound gorilla. So, um, and I selected the integrator based on values. And, in, and here's how that, that interview, or how I was introduced to that company. The recruiter who called me, I'm, I still have a relationship with the recruiter to this day, a guy named Bogdan. He said, hey, I've got this integrator in, in, they're based in Plano, Texas. They're looking for people just like you. Uh, but, you know, they are a faith-based company. And they, you know, they pray before meetings sometimes. You know, their candidates have to be comfortable with being in an, in an environment that is openly Christian. Um, and all of their values are built around Christianity. Um, and they're, and they're open about that. And I said, dude, not only am I okay with that, that's the ideal environment. So I said, I'll, I'll interview with those guys. Absolutely loved them. Um, you know, all the negative things that I had read about them. I, I read a lot of reviews, all the negative things were just like, you know, it's like a cult, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I, that wasn't my experience. So I, I took the job with them, um, and there is a there is a story right before that I'm going to tell later in a different video. <clears throat> um, but I, I took the job. My first project was working on um, uh, heating and cooling building automation system. I think I did maybe six weeks. But while I was there, in the time I was there, I think it was there a year, 
and a half, maybe two years I was there. Um, I worked on some elite level projects that really transformed everything. I, I realized very quickly that I was the experience I had gotten working for the end user and using this technology, using this architecture called the unified namespace, which I hadn't, I didn't call it the unified namespace yet, but that's what I was developing all my systems based on. Um, I was definitely much further ahead of the other integrators. One of the things I realized was that like the engineers all specialized in something. Um, and they had very in they had very narrow knowledge, right? Um, it, they had a they were experts at stuff, but they didn't have, and they were really good at what they did, but they didn't have broad knowledge base. So they didn't have the knowledge base required to architect enterprise class solutions. They were just really good at taking a functional specification and outputting you know, applying a control theory and outputting the function using technology as quickly and as cost-effectively as possible. But they weren't good at applying their automation to a much larger infrastructure. In fact, it was never even a consideration, okay? So this integrator that I worked for, they were a Wonder Warehouse. They were Wonderware and Rockwell House. They were a very traditional integrator. Um, so the, the tough decision, so it was actually two very difficult decisions with this, with this employer. And I'll probably have to do this in two videos uh, because my second integration stop, um, I've got three or four most difficult decisions just with those guys. So number one, everybody in, the orga in this organization went through this leadership training. Um, at literally everybody. I mean, the owner of the company who to this day is somebody I have immense amount of respect for. Um, and in this organization, I, I don't want to mention their name just because I'm not going to invite them on to, to speak, uh, you know, to, to respond to anything I say. So um, they were a great company and I absolutely loved working there. And, and the decision I made when I ultimately decided to leave was a really hard one. I actually was brought to tears when I told my manager that I was leaving. I mean, that's how hard this decision was. But it was the right decision to leave. There were two issues I, I fundamentally had there. Number one, everybody went through this leadership training. It took about a month to go through it. I think we did a an all-day class, like every Thursday, for um, every Thursday for a month. Um, the owner of the company put a huge investment in this leadership training. Um, and then at the end, you go, you, 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 they give you situations that they, you have to tell them how you would respond in those situations. And then you write those down. And then you go in front of like this, this board that asks you about your responses. Okay. So a couple of things about the leadership training that were a little bit uncomfortable for me was, um, number one, I am a, I believe that the best ideas should win. Um, I think that best ideas should always win regardless of um, hierarchy, politics, where the idea came from. Um, the, I think the best ideas have to win. And in order for the best ideas to win, everyone in your organization needs to feel free to express themselves um, 
openly and honestly, okay? Um, when I was at this company, I was there for about a, I was there about a year before I started to realize that the mission statement on the wall and the values that were printed on the wall weren't exactly the way the company was run. They were closer than most companies, but it wasn't exactly the way the company was run. And it felt a little bit disingenuous at times. Not that I felt like the owner was disingenuous. I believed he was a purely genuine human being. But that the bureaucracy of the business, um, the bureaucracy of the business, um, that hierarchy in the middle started to depart away from what he, he really believed. Uh, number two, his son worked there. Um, and his son only had a job because it was his son and his son was, you know, you could tell his son was a really, really shady person, you know, born into wealth and, uh, entitled, um, super shady, just didn't belong there. A scumbag. His son's a scumbag. No way around it. Um, but back to this leadership training, one of the questions in the leadership training was, uh, it was a, it was a situation It basically said, your colleague is talking, um, basically talking negatively about your boss. You share a manager and your colleague is talking negatively about your manager. And, um, you know, how would you handle that situation? Right. And so what I wrote in my answer was based on the leadership training, I know what you want me to say. What you want me to say is I would go tell the manager and give the manager an opportunity to, you know, implement corrective action on this employee. Um, which by the way, that's what they believe. They believe that you should go tell the manager that someone was talking shit about him, which to me is just fucking absurd. I mean, absolutely terrible advice. And it's not, that's not leadership. I said, I know what you want me to do, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that that's how I'd handle it. Cause that isn't how I'd handle it. What I would do is I would Socratically ask my colleague, why do they feel that way? And then I would encourage them to go talk to our manager and bridge the gap on their relationship. Okay. Um, because I don't believe that you can be, if you don't respect your manager, if you don't respect your leadership, I don't believe you can be successful. Um, and I told him if you don't bridge the, I, what I said is I would tell you that if you don't bridge the gap in that relationship, I think you should move on. That's what I wrote as my response. So when I went in, in front of the board, I got all the other questions, right? That was the only, there was five of them. That was the only one where they were not happy with my response. And the owner of the company was sitting at the other end of the table. And my manager, the engineering manager was over here and he asked me, you know, why would I do it that way? And I said, because I believe long-term that's the best way to create uh, an, uh, an environment of collaboration. It doesn't damage my relationship with my colleague. We have to trust one another. We have to have faith in one another's ability. Moreover, it is encouraging him to solve the problem himself rather than me escalating the issue to a manager who then is going to impose a solution um, only based on their authority and power in the organization. Um, my manager, 
spoke up for me and said, you know, I believe that this is a perfect example of leadership. He's acknowledging how you, we want him to answer the question, but he's being honest about how you would actually do it. And they didn't give me my leadership plaque. They wanted me to go through the program again. And, and I obviously wasn't going to go through the program again. You know what I mean? And my manager defended me and he was like, you know, I, I disagree with that decision. But at the end of the day, they wanted, they wanted, you know, they wanted me to take an approach that not only do I not think is effective, I know is not effective. I know what the consequences of doing it their way was going to be. So that was the first major, okay, I don't belong here. But here's the big difficult decision I had to make. Um, now, mind you, just because that happened doesn't mean I was I was unhappy there. I absolutely loved this company. I loved, and what I, what I really loved was the fellowship. I loved the projects. I got to work, you know, I got to write a roasting program for Starbucks. I mean, my roaster program is in every Starbucks roaster all over the United States. If you drink a cup of Starbucks coffee, it is, it, that bean went through a roaster that I, that I, uh, I programmed. Um, and in fact, that program is in every roaster, um, across the entire United States. Um, I got to work on that, that Starbucks project. I got to work, uh, I got to lead that Starbucks project. I got to do uh, enterprise class um, uh, hydrodynamic management um, automation and data collection system in Victoria and Midland, Texas for this big oil and gas company. And I got to do this whole value add piece where they didn't even, it wasn't even in the functional spec, but publishing all the data into unified namespace, which I then used later in 2013 on this big oil and gas project. I got to work on some really, really cool stuff. But here, ultimately, the toughest, the decision I had to make boiled down to this. We were a Wonderware and Rockwell house. And there we were, I was doing a project for a customer. And I, and at this point, I knew Ignition was the best platform for this customer. Not just for the use case we were talking about at the time, what they, what they had given to us in the request for proposal, but long term that Ignition was going to be the platform that this customer should be using. And I went to the applications engineer who I was friends with. I used to do um, road races with him. We'd go do charity bike rides together and stuff. I went to the applications engineer and I pitched, you know, I'd been saying, I'd been trying to use Ignition in a project for like eight months at that point. But I said, you know, it's beyond debate. Ignition is the the best um, platform to use for this customer. And I did this whole presentation with him and two other applications engineers and a couple of other business intelligence guys. And no one had a, uh, an argument, a merit-based argument against my proposal. The decision was made, we're not going to use Ignition. Not only are we not going to use Ignition on this project, we're not going to use it on any project. There was one engineer who had worked with Ignition um, in the past, you know, in 2008, right after it became Ignition, he didn't like Python or something. I can't remember his name. Great engineer, but he, he wasn't a fan of the scripting language, but he was a big Wonderware guy. Um, but what the applications engineer told me was, if we, if, if we use Ignition here, Wonderware is going to pull our discounts. 
I mean, this is literally what he's telling me in his office. You know, Wonderware is going to pull our discounts. You know, we have a commercial relationship with Wonderware. We have a commercial relationship with Rockwell. That's why all of our automation is Rockwell. Um, the only time we don't use Rockwell is when the functional specification calls for something that can't be achieved with a Rockwell solution. And that was the same argument with Wonderware. And I told him, well, that's not in the best interest of the customer. And he didn't argue with me. He didn't say, he didn't make a case for why using Ignition or using Wonderware was going to be in the best interest of the customer. And I, you know, I, uh, I said, you know, I, I, I can't put my name on this. I can't do this project, number one. Um, but number two, I can't work for a company that isn't going to put the client's best interest first, right? That doesn't mean that you don't look out for the, your company's own interest. You have to, I mean, right? You got to stay in business to make a difference, but you shouldn't enter into strategic partnerships with vendors that are going to put you, put your interest in direct conflict with the customer's interest, right? So I got a call. I mean, I believe this is, you know, divine providence, I got a call like within three days from the recruiter who had recruited me there. And he said, there's this integrator based out of Southern California that is looking for a lead engineer to lead a, uh, an enterprise um, SCADA system built in ignition. And the project starts in June, which was like six weeks away, um, mid-June, I think. Would you be interested? And the toughest decision I had to make, that second toughest decision I had to make at this employer was the decision to go and interview for that, that project. And I interviewed with that company. They offered me the job. In fact, um, I, you know, I think they gave me um, $12,000 more than what I had been making, what I was making. I mean, I was already making a ridiculous amount of money, but they, I got a $12,000 increase and I got an opportunity to lead uh, a project with 19 other developers. So I was going to be the lead engineer, 19 other developers um, on this enterprise class SCADA system, single server built in ignition, five states, 40,000 devices, 14,000 sites, 11 million tags, 2 million daily alarms, 2,000 concurrent users. Um, and I, I went and talked with my wife and I coupled what had happened with the leadership training with what had happened when we had this ignition and wonderware discussion and this opportunity. And the, the difficult decision was I loved the people I worked with and I loved the owner of the company. Um, I loved the freedom. I, I mean, I, I loved everything about that company. It wasn't like I was unhappy there. It was, I had gone to that company based on values. And when I realized that my values didn't align with what they believed, I made the decision to jump to the next integrator to do this big project. And when I went and told my manager that I was going to take this position and they wanted to counter offer and they did counter offer, but I, I told them I wasn't going to be, um, taking any counter offers. Um, I, I was in tears 
I mean, I, I was in tears when I told them I was leaving. When I told my manager I was leaving. Um, that's how much this company meant to me. Even though I had experienced what I experienced in the leadership training and what I experienced in that Wonderware ignition discussion. Um, it was absolutely the right decision. Um, what I didn't know at the time was that that company, you know, there were, it, it, there, that company was going to see a huge decline in its, in its business because of, um, they started to abandon their values at times. Um, but it was a incredibly, incredibly difficult decision. Um, let me say this before I'm, before I'm done here. Um, one last thing. I have never accepted a counteroffer. So in all of the, all across my career, every time I've put in my two weeks notice, I've only ever quit, like just up and quit one time. And that was, um, at the printing company. I've always given notice before I, you know, whenever I've left. Every time I've ever given my notice, I've always been given a counteroffer, you know, and I have never accepted a counteroffer. Uh, and here's why. I would probably accept a counteroffer if, say, I got, I, I received a, a raise in like January and I got a job offer in May um, and the market had just changed drastically in that five months and my current employer understood that based on the fact that I'd gotten this offer and they counteroffered. I'd probably consider it there. But if you've been at a company for a year or two years and you've discussed your pay, you've discussed your compensation, um, and your employer didn't do anything about it until someone else wanted you, that's not the type of place you want to work. Now, I, if, you, if you think you're, you deserve to be paid more money, you need to say so. You should always know exactly how much you make. You should know, always know exactly how much you cost. An integrator has to, a systems integrator has to generate three times the revenue of what they cost. So if you cost $150,000 a year, you need to be generating $450,000 in um, revenue, direct revenue. Um, and that's because of all the overhead associated with managing integrators. Um, and remember, 150000 isn't your salary. It's your total cost, benefits, taxes, etc. So um, anyway, hopefully that was valuable. I know it was long-winded. In, in the next video, I'll tell you the toughest decision I had to make at the second integrator. Uh, there's actually a couple of them. I had meant to do them both in this video, but we're at 27 minutes here, and that's not going to be helpful. So anyway, if, if you find this uh, helpful or meaningful, please like, subscribe. Um, write a comment down below. That's really the big thing is if you write a comment below, if you like the video and write a comment, a quick one, no matter what you say, that really helps the algorithm for us. So anyway, um, thanks for watching. I'll see you in the next one.